This is a Vision Australia radio podcast. On Vision Australia radio, you're listening to The Seeing Eye Dog Show with me, your host, Harriet Moffat. In this episode, I've got an interview with Claire Crew, puppy development trainer at Seeing Eye Dogs, talking about helping your dog through some potentially scary and weird things. In recognition of Halloween, we're going to talk about how to recognise when your dog may, may be uncertain and what you should do. As always, this is only general information and if you have any problems, please talk to your trusted trainer for advice. Then we're going to be joined by Dr. Ash Mooney from Sing Our Dogs Vet Team talking about two health topics. We're going to talk about some of the sweet treats around at Halloween and what to be mindful of when you are with your dog and these treats and then we're going to talk a bit about ear infections i hope you enjoyed these topics and now here's my first interview with claire hi claire thanks for joining me on the show today hi harriet thanks for having me so we're going to talk a little bit about some uh spooky things in um probably what is kind of roughly the lead up to halloween um, I've been driving around noticing all of the, I guess, weird and wonderful things that people have been putting in their um, back and front yards, um, also in, in the supermarkets. Um, but I guess I was thinking about, you know, some puppies are going to be confused or potentially worried about some of these novel things, which you just don't really expect. So I wanted to just talk a little bit about some of those kind of weird things and start off with... Um, I guess, how does a dog owner or carer recognize the difference between curiosity and concern? Um, well, look, they can probably look very similar because um, you can be both curious and concerned um, and that's the same for the dog. So they can be unsure about what they're looking at and the best way to tell is by looking at their body language. So their body language is going to tell you whether they are really, really worried or whether they're mildly concerned but curious to check it out. The things you want to be looking for is their body posture. So if they're a bit lower down, they're crouching down a little bit, leaning away from the object, um, that's a sign that they're maybe not 100% certain. If their tail is tucked between their legs, that's another sign that they're potentially a little worried. Um, but, you know, if you've got a dog that's essentially running in the other direction, then you're pretty certain that that's a concern and you want to deal with that. Um, with the curiosity, you know, you can work through it in the moment. If they are balking and wanting to run away, let them get away and deal with it at another time. So what might curiosity look like? Um, so curiosity, again, can be similar. They may have that lower body posture, but they might also tentatively lean towards it, want to try and look at it, maybe take the odd little step, or they might come at it from the side. Um, so you'll be able to see them wanting to interact, but not really being 100% confident to go right up to it and, and see what it is. So if you do have that dog um, who I suppose is kind of a little bit curious and trying to work out, you know, maybe what it is, should you let them investigate? Yeah, absolutely. Especially if it's something that they've never seen before. Um, give them the opportunity, if they want to, to go up to it and have a sniff of it or have a look at it. Um, approach it from a different direction if that helps them feel a bit more comfortable. Um, when they choose to go up to investigate it, you can reinforce them um, just so that they start to understand that it's something they need to be worried about and that they can feel comfortable. When it comes to uh, seeing eye dog puppies and kind of investigating these types of things, how do we, I guess, gauge kind of whether it's 
yeah, I guess beneficial or whether it's going to kind of potentially cause you, you know, problems down the line in terms of distraction, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, but there's a fine line, but in an instance where you're seeing the dog's body language being that of a little bit of concern and uncertainty, um, you're far better to give them the opportunity to investigate and build that confidence with that item um, than drag them away from it. Because if you're going to try and pull them away from it, chances are you're actually going to make it worse because then they're going to be like, last time I saw that I got dragged away from it, it must be scary, so therefore I'm going to have a different reaction to it, which may be more extreme than the first time. So initial interaction you can let them investigate but then each time you do it you're going to maybe take a slightly different approach where you don't go up to investigate anymore you just reinforce them as they walk past it so it's not going to be a you get to go and hang out with that thing every time you see it but we're going to give you the opportunity to be familiar so kind of back to that type of dog that maybe is not as curious but probably a little bit more worried how do you kind of know when to give more distance and let them escape if that's what they want to do um so generally with things like that giving the dogs the option to leave the situation if that's what they want to do is actually going to really help them to build that confidence and then want to reapproach later um so if you've got a dog that's backing away and is at the end of the lead going the opposite direction it's a really good sign that they don't want to interact with that thing and you just want to end it right there Take a mental note of what it was and what the situation was and then talk to your PDT and then they will be able to come up with a strategy to help you build that dog's confidence around that item in a very secure and safe way. So in those circumstances when they are that afraid, don't push it. Um, there is no requirement for them to go up and see a scary pumpkin um, if that's what it might be. Um, or you know, in the lead up to Christmas, it could be a motorized Santa Claus, who knows? Um, but they're the things you just want to take note of, get them out of the situation, and then check the CDP. If the dog is backing away, but they're still interested a little bit, then you can, you know, just give them that time and just give them a little bit more distance, maybe go a few steps backwards to where they're able to maintain a slightly more normal body posture while still looking at the, at the item um, and just reinforce them while they're there. And then if they choose to walk forward, reinforce that too but there's no point forcing anything. So um, if it, yeah, the situation is not gonna work out in favor for anybody, call it quits and leave away. You don't have to have a positive experience or end on a high with every training session. So you did kind of mention reinforcement. So can you use um, food? And is there any kind of risk of, um, I think I know the answer to this one, but I know I've also read this one a little bit before is, you know, that reinforcing fear. Well, fear is an emotion, so you can't actually reinforce it because the dog doesn't make a choice to be fearful. So what you want to do with food is you do want to be careful how you use it in those situations. What I would recommend doing is if the dog chooses to take a step towards the item, you can yes mark and reinforce that because you're reinforcing the behavior of moving towards it. And then you're also potentially pairing the scary thing with a good thing, so then gradually changing that, you know, brain chemistry from scary to pleasant. Um, what I would really always avoid doing is luring the dog towards the thing they're scared of. So particularly with Labradors, they love their food, so it's going to put them into a massive state of conflict. They really want the food, but they're really afraid of that object, so that it actually increases the stress. So you can reinforce the approach, but don't use the food to get them to move towards it. And for anyone that is not aware of a lure, what does a lure kind of mean? So basically that would be 
dangling a piece of food in front of their nose towards the object that they're afraid of. Um, or putting a piece of food on the object that they're afraid of. So you're actually using the food to tempt them forwards. So if you are, you know, I guess looking at this thing that they're worried about, can you use yourself to kind of investigate the item to show them that it's okay? Um, It depends on the situation, really. Um, if you've got a second person that's there with you and you can stay there with your dog and that second person can go up and interact with the item, you know, know, not sort of bringing the item towards the dog or anything like that, but going up and touching it or standing next to it, um, that can definitely help. What I would be cautious about doing is if it's you on your own and you've got hold of the lead and you're going up to it because then the dog might feel that pressure to move towards the thing as well. So you're better off just maintaining your distance and reinforcing when they're comfortable or when they're um, more relaxed or making those choices. So one of the other things that I think we kind of spoke about a little bit before we started recording was, um, I guess, around Halloween, um, door knocking is is a kind of, I guess, a particularly big thing around this kind of holiday. How do you manage with, I guess, knocking on doors or even kind of concern about people in costumes on Halloween? Yeah, so I would be planning ahead. So knowing your home environment and where you live and the likelihood of knocking. Um, I think I said this to you before, you know, I live in a block of units, so no one's going to come and knock on my door because I'm a third unit in the block and no one's coming off the street to do that. I know that I don't need to worry about that necessarily on Halloween. However, if you're a house that is on the the main part of the street um, and you put decorations up, Um, there's a good chance kids are going to come and knock on the door. So you can then be prepared with your dog. So if, you know, maybe maybe it's a bit late for this year, but for next year or in the lead up to Christmas, you can start to pitch your dog what you want them to do when someone knocks on the door or rings the doorbell. So that might be you hear the doorbell, you go and get on your bed. Or it might be that knowing that you're going to get a lot of um, knocking on the door, but you haven't had time do that training you might have them in the crate for the period between six and eight o'clock when there's most likely going to be people there um i would also be avoiding particularly if you've got a very young puppy that you may have noticed some of this concern in i wouldn't be taking them to the door you know i'd be leaving them to just chill out where they are or if you do have a dog that you know might find this really difficult you can put a sign up on your front door and say please don't knock i have a puppy in training here's a bowl of treats on the floor, take one for yourself. Um, so you're still living up to your Halloween obligation by providing tasty treats to the young kids, but also not, um, you know, causing any detriment to your dog's training. So, are there any other kind of, I guess, tips or tricks um, that we haven't mentioned around? I guess, yeah, any of the kind of um, worries, concerns, or or even alert barking. Yeah. So I think. You know, when it's coming up to things like Halloween, if you are someone that decorates your house, um, it can be really useful to get the ornaments out one at a time and let your dog investigate them initially before going and throwing them all over the house and the dog coming home one day and going, oh my God, what is all this stuff outside? <laughs> and giving them the opportunity to get familiar with them in a safe space um, and at their own pace before then adding those decorations. I would also suggest, you know, if you've got houses in your local area that put decorations up you can maybe go for a walk around those houses 
early in the day when there's not loads of people out and about when you know potentially you don't have cackling skeletons going off in the in the garden because they haven't turned them on yet because it's not the right time of day um you can also when you're at the shop because there's often you know lots of decorations in the shop so if you have a dog that's comfortable in the shopping environment you can give them the opportunity to interact with and explore those strange looking things in the shops as well so it's not a big surprise when they see them on the street and in in general are there any ways that you can i guess help build resilience to uh, new or novel things yeah so i think that's just the things that we do every day in our socialization um we want to give our dogs the opportunity to see lots of different things um so you can get in ahead of the curve so again in the lead up to christmas we might start doing a little bit of exposure to insects. Um, you know, and that might just be as simple as getting it out and letting the dog experience it at home. Um, you know, maybe the blow up Santa Claus or the blow up dinosaur with the Santa hat on or whatever it might be. Um, you know, these things are starting to come out in the shop now. So it's a really good time to start building that resilience by going, letting them investigate those first initial times and providing that reinforcement when they are calm and relaxed around those things. Um, and then gradually building it up. So it's just the same as any other socialization. We're, we're providing our dogs with support and confidence in a variety of environments um, and with a variety of objects. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show chatting about, I guess, weird things. <laughs> Thanks, Harry. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Seeing Our Dog Show on Vision Australia Radio. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Claire. Don't forget that if you are a Seeing Our Dogs carer volunteer or Seeing Our Dogs handler, to chat to your trusted staff. And if you are a member of the public with a pet dog, chat to a trusted trainer uh, to help you through any potential training problems that you may have. Now I'm going to be joined by Dr. Ash Mooney from the Seeing Our Dogs vet team talking about Halloween sweet treats and which ones to keep away from your dog. Thank you for listening. Hi, Ash. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Hi, Harriet. Thanks for having me again. So we're going to talk a little bit about, I guess, some of the uh, foods that we might encounter that dogs uh, are not able to eat. So I think we've all heard stories of Labradors getting into things that we shouldn't uh, or things that they shouldn't. Um, Some of the things that we can eat, humans safely, not so great for dogs. So um, in the lead up to Halloween, what are the types of kind of sweet treats that dogs can't eat? So the biggest one is going to be chocolate, um, especially any sort of dark chocolate or milk chocolate. Those are going to be the most dangerous for your dog to consume. Um, And anytime they do eat chocolate, we recommend bringing them to a vet clinic as soon as you can, because it's always easier for us to treat it by getting them to just vomit it up rather than waiting until it started causing problems. So when you say, um, I guess, kind of milk and then dark chocolate, is there a reason why those foods are so problematic for dogs? Yeah, so chocolate is actually um, toxic um, in for all dogs. And the reason why the dark chocolates are more toxic is because they have less of a percentage of milk and other things cutting them. Um, So essentially there's less of a percentage of the non-toxic ingredients that are part of chocolate. Whereas the dark chocolate, it's going to be mostly just the toxic part. So if you don't intervene um, quickly and I guess get that dog to vomit up the chocolate, 
what is the kind of what are the risks to dogs? Yeah, so um, in a mild case of toxicity, they'll have things like vomiting and diarrhea, um, which is never great. Um, but it can progress onto things like tremors, um, even going up to seizures or possibly death if it's um, a really high dose for the dog. So when you are looking really at having, I guess, having that awareness that your dog might have gotten into something and going to the vet really is the best option. What are the kind of, I guess, timelines that we're looking at? If you are aware that your dog has eaten chocolate, is there anything particularly um, helpful, I guess, for the vet to know as well? Um, I suppose just what kind of chocolate it was. So if you know, if you have the wrapper, um, bringing in the wrapper for the vet to see, that way we can calculate whether or not it was a toxic dose. Um, there's quite a bit of maths involved in that. Um, and, and so that's something that you should probably look into. Also, when you think the dog has eaten it. Um, one of the most common scenarios we get in vet clinics is you've left home um, and some chocolate was left on the countertop or something and you come home and there's a wrapper um, and a guilty looking dog, but no chocolate to be seen. So in those cases, we just assume that they ate it um, when you first left for work. And we, we kind of operate based on worst case scenario as the vets. That way we can provide the best possible treatment. And operating in that kind of worst case scenario I mean, it's one of those things, right, where there could be, it could be kind of an, an expensive endeavor, but it is cheaper that way to kind of, uh, or not not cheaper, but safer to to deal with it and get that vomiting kind of done quickly, yeah? Yeah, it's always better to just get them to throw it up because then it doesn't have time for the toxic effects to set in. Um, and, you know, the last thing that anybody would want is just to wait and see and then your dog ends up passing away because they weren't close enough to help when they started showing more severe side effects. So what are the other potential, um, I, I guess, foods that dogs can't eat that might be um, hidden around kind of, yeah, in, a, in someone's Halloween basket trick-or-treat candy? So there's um, certain types of artificial sweeteners that can be toxic to dogs. Um, also, things like macadamia nuts are quite toxic. And I, I don't suppose most children are getting macadamia nuts in their um, Halloween lollies because they're quite expensive. But, you know, if you live in a nicer neighborhood where kids get better Halloween lollies, then maybe. Um, another big thing is the wrappers of the lollies. So I really encourage any dog owner to have a closed top rubbish bin that the dog can't open themselves to get into the rubbish because it might start with, ooh, that's a great smelling lolly wrapper. Um, and then they start eating other undigestible things that are also in your bin. And if you do think that your dog has ingested uh, soft plastic similar to that, is that a similar thing of going to the vet um, to get them to vomit up? Yeah, it's always a scenario where it's better to go in as early as possible um, because essentially as things go through the intestinal tract, um, it goes into your small intestine and that's where things typically get stuck. So worst case scenario is something like a piece of plastic gets stuck and then has to be surgically removed, whereas the esophagus and the stomach are a little bit larger. When we make the dog vomit up things, it's a bit easier and safer to get it out that way than to wait until it's too far down and have to go to surgery and the other kind of i guess thing that um that kind of comes up a little bit is obviously if you don't know particularly that you know maybe a dog's got into something or ingested something um but you are maybe noticing signs of them 
uh, I guess, not being particularly well. What are the what are the kind of um, signs that you'd look for that would indicate that a dog would require um, emergency attention? Yeah, so typically with any sort of toxin ingestion, um, vomiting and diarrhea are usually the first signs, and they may be the only signs if it's a quite mild ingestion. Usually from there, things progress to um, maybe some shaking, maybe excessive urination, um, or um, they might have a proper full seizure where they fall to the ground, and, and it looks like how you see seizures in TV or whatever, where their whole body tremors. Um, and then, you know, if, if it is a really serious toxicity, usually things go pretty badly from there on out. So if you're at the point where your dog has collapsed, um, you need to be in contact with an emergency center and on your way to the emergency center as quickly as possible. I guess that's one of those things where it's really important to note where your emergency vet is so that you're kind of ready at any point in a dog's life then. Yeah, and I think the important thing with any holiday is to recognize, you know, it's a time where there's a lot of lollies. There's probably a lot of other dogs that really want those lollies. And so the emergency centers do tend to get really, really busy on these days. Um, And we're in the middle of a worldwide vet shortage. So, you know, the best thing to do in any emergency is to call the emergency hospital and make sure that they actually have the staff available to help you. That way you aren't wasting precious time driving somewhere that is too understaffed to be able to help when you could have just spent that time driving to maybe a slightly further away but fully staffed emergency center it's kind of scary to think i guess about all of that type of um emergency situation um so when we're looking at i guess preventing all of these types of things what are things that pet owners can keep in mind that help their dog safe and stay away from these things that they just shouldn't be eating in the first place Um, I think the main thing is preventing access. So ideally things should be in closed cupboards. And as I said before, with the closed top rubbish bin, make sure that they can't access the bin. Um, If you don't have the ability to close it away, putting it on a really high surface that you know the dog absolutely can't get to, you know, even if they jumped on a chair and then jumped on the table, they still shouldn't be able to get to it. Um, I only say that example because I have had a chocolate toxicity dog that did jump on a table to get to the chocolate. the other thing is educating children. So sometimes children, they just think, you know, my dog's my friend and they just want to share a treat with their dog. And, you know, that can be really innocent and the intention behind it is really good. It's just about educating them on what things are safe and unsafe to give to the dog. Um, and I suppose any kind of quantity of, of chocolate is a bit of a no-go, but even things like if a kid is feeding your dog a lot of, you know, bread or potatoes or even vegetables is potentially going to be a problem in the future? Yeah, I think that any time you have a child and a dog interacting, especially in the context of food, um, there should always always be adult supervision and making sure that it's both not toxic and also not a excessive volume of something. Um, and again, just really focusing on teaching kids what, what is appropriate to feed a dog, how to feed a dog in a positive way that reinforces good behaviors, um, and, and making sure that they're not just kind of randomly sneaking food to the animal. listening to the Seeing Our Dog show on Vision Australia Radio. That was Dr. Ash Mooney from Seeing Our Dog's vet team talking about sweet treats to avoid at Halloween for your dogs. 
Now we've got a final interview for this episode. We are going to be joined by Ash again, talking about ear infections. Thank you for listening to The Seeing Auto Show, and I hope you enjoyed this interview. So I'm going to chat to you a little bit about ears today. Um, and we're, I suppose, mostly thinking probably about our little Labrador ears, which are those kind of like long-ish floppy things. What are some of the common health issues around ears that we see? So Labradors and Golden Retrievers, as well as several other dog breeds, can be predisposed to having ear infections. Um, they can be infected either with bacteria or with yeast or fungi. And typically, ear infections happen after the ear gets moist for some reason. So that could be maybe the dog went swimming um, or had a bath, and then the moisture um and the flappy ear provide, provide the perfect environment for the pathogens to grow. That sounds super appetizing. When we're talking about fungi, we're not exactly um, thinking about kind of anything, you know, that resembles like a mushroom that you buy from the supermarket, are we? What might it look like if the dog's ear is infected? Usually you'll see either like a dark brown or sometimes a red or maybe even a whitish yellow color discharge. Um, and you'll also notice that the smell of your dog's ears might change. So all dog ears have their own specific smell. So you have to kind of be used to the normal smell of a dog ear to know when it's an infected smell. Um, but you'll notice that they get more pungent, um, almost like kind of off beer maybe sometimes this is the smell. And then you'll notice discharge scratching at the ears or sometimes shaking the head or rubbing the head on the ground or on furniture so i guess with a lot of other vet like a lot lot of other kind of like health things it's a little bit about knowing the normal of your dog too to really help work out if it's you know inappropriate smelling that type of thing yeah, you should definitely um, get to know your, your dog's normal ears. So having a sniff of them when they're not infected, having a look in to see what a normal amount of earwax is. Um, and if your dog is really prone to ear infections, your veterinarian might per provide a cleaning solution for you to use. Um, but it's really important to only use these kinds of remedies um, when you've been, giving, been given veterinarian advice. So the other thing that um, that I was kind of thinking about is, and I used to have this um, golden retriever that had very, like lots of very lovely luscious hair, um, including kind of a little bit down the ear canals. Is it important to kind of, I guess, look in, like if they've got hairy ears, do you have to kind of look into the hairs to see if there's any problems? So your vet will have a device called an otoscope and that has a long um, nozzle on it that allows us to look down into the ear canal past the fur. Um, that being said, sometimes there's too much fur, especially if you see little oodles around. Um, they're typically the culprits for having lots of fur in the ear canals. Um, so we don't necessarily recommend ear plucking. Um, you might see that on the internet and things like that, but that's more of a old school technique and is only used for really specific cases of extreme hair growth. Um, typically, we just recommend keeping a, an eye on it um, for discharge and, you know, those signs of shaking the head and whatnot. And then if it is a really excessively hairy ear, um, your veterinarian or your groomer might be the right person to go to to address that. So just to kind of finish off, if you've got a dog that does have um, a bit of a gunky ear, what should you do? And you know, other than kind of seeing your vet and stuff, and what should you not do? 
Um, the main thing is that you should always see a vet before putting anything in your dog's ears. The reason why we say this is because if their eardrum, which you have to, is quite far down in the ear, if that's ruptured, then it can actually be toxic to put things into their ears and can cause really severe damage, including brain damage potentially. Um, so don't ever put anything down your dog's ears without taking them to the vet. Um, I've seen a lot of weird things put into dog ears like olive oil, um, you know, just random stuff. None of that is going to help your dog's ears. Um, and even if you've been prescribed medication in the past, it's been a couple years since your dog had an infection, don't just chuck the same medication in. It might be a different type of infection, or again, that eardrum might be ruptured and you could be potentially causing a toxicity. You've been listening to the Seeing Our Dog Show on Vision Australia Radio. I hope you enjoyed my interviews with Claire and with Ash. If you'd like to find out more about Seeing Eye Dogs, the work we do, or how you can help, head to our website at sed.visionaustralia.org. We are looking for volunteers across most of the east coast of Australia. We are looking for volunteers in parts of Queensland, such as Sunshine Coast, Brisbane and Gold Coast. We are looking for volunteers in Central Coast, New South Wales and parts of Sydney, as well as Greater Melbourne, parts of Victoria, including Ballarat, Bendigo, the Geelong region and surrounds, and even up to places like the Yarra Valley. So if you're interested in becoming a puppy carer or a trained dog carer, breeder carer, uh, we have lots of programs across Australia that you may be able to be involved with. And we are looking for carers now to help place some lovely puppies over Christmas and into the new year. If you'd like to find more episodes of this show and other great Vision Australia radio shows, head to our Omni FM page or don't forget to tune in same time next week for another episode of the Seeing Our Dog Show on Vision Australia Radio. Thanks for listening to this Vision Australia Radio podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Visit varadio.org for more. Vision Australia Radio. Blindness. Low vision. Opportunity.